at the University of Hull, and she uh, specializes specialized till now, I guess, uh, in literary translation, in translating um, uh, plays and theory of translation, um, particularly from Spanish to English, but also um, in theory of translation using uh, theories of Benjamin and uh, politics of recognition by Charles, Charles Tyler, as well as other uh, perspectives, as I learned yesterday. So Sarah, the floor is for you. Did, would you like to sit here, or are you happy there? So, I'm happy here. OK, so maybe I will sit here and watch it. Thanks. Um, I had a super fancy font prepared for this PowerPoint. And I now see, to my dismay, that I've forgotten to embed it in the PowerPoint. So it doesn't look quite as kick-ass as I planned. So this PowerPoint will now be as much as a, as a surprise to me as it will be to you. Um, but let's see what happens. So I want to tell you about my quest that I'm on. I'm on a quest to discover the secret of cultural translation. I want to know what, attracted, what attraction it has as a resource for us as researchers. I want to question the tools we use to theorise it in a globalised multicultural world. I want to question what significance it has in the way in which we interact with otherness in every aspect of our everyday lives. And the problem with cultural translation is that it's a bit of a mystery. In the academy, it's one of those tantalising but elusive concepts that promises a way for us to connect what we do with the real-world objects of our study. But there's not yet much of a literature to build our own unique take upon. No monographs yet, just the occasional book chapter, a handful of journal articles and no real working definition to build on. As the journal Translation Studies has signalled, in a three-year open forum on cultural translation. The problem is that when we write about it, we tend to take it as a self-evident concept, something that doesn't require definition or explanation, but which is simply known. But over the last five to 10 years, the raft of published material starting to problematize what we mean by cultural translation has started to tackle that deficit, which is why it's a privilege for me to be able to take part in this conference, where we'll consider not just what we each mean in our work by cultural translation, but what place it holds in our respective fields of research. So before I say much more, I want to show you three examples of what I think could be cultural translation in action. They're internet memes based on three well-known popular music videos. And I want to show these to you now without further explanation, without introducing what you're going to see. Because I'd like for you to culturally translate everything I go on to say through the frame of these three case studies.
enough of that. Um, as you'll have guessed, that was something based on Carly Rae Jepsen's 2011 signal, single, Call Me Maybe. Let's have a look at the next. Tyler's iconic um, total eclipse of the heart and finally okay everyone in position for the photo after the advert translation in action. How do they define what we mean when we invoke cultural translation in our research? Well, in his blurb for his own course on cultural translation at NYU, Robert Young writes this about cultural translation. Derived from ideas of linguistic translation, the metaphor of translation, etymologically translation already itself is metaphor, has become increasingly utilised as a means of considering the wider effects of the ways in which cultures are transmitted and developed in different contexts, either historically through the operations of colonial expansion and the consequent global diaspora of millions of people, or more recently through processes of immigration and the movement of refugees. So for young, cultural translation has a relationship both to that stuff of interlingual communication that we know of as translation and the confluence of cultures, the communities and ideas that arise when the movement of people across our globe result in exchange. That's all based on an idea first explored by Homi Baba, influenced by Salman Rushdie, in which the movement of people from one locale to another demonstrates an ability through that movement to subvert to distort and therefore resist 
the hegemony of dominant colonial and neo-colonial narratives. So in the cultural translation of people and cultures from one geographical location to another, binary claims to us and them, foreign and local, British, non-British, American, non-American, they no longer stand. This conflation of a postmodern view of contemporary migrancy with the interlingual practice of translation for some is controversial. Why confuse the two? But I think it's possible to use translation, that term we use for the communication of ideas across borders of language. I think it's possible to use that as a means for understanding the transmission and development of ideas across culture. That's what I'm going to try to convince you of today. So I believe when we talk of cultural translation, we're not confusing the discourse of interlingual communication for the discourse of post-colonial resistance. With cultural translation, we're highlighting the presence of translational acts in the cultural phenomena of everyday life. By examining a range of such phenomena for the movements of translation that lie behind them, we can learn something of the motivations, the ideologies and the subjectivities that drive our acts of culture that we in the academy each adopt as the object of our study. So for me, it's precisely in the application of translation thinking to cultural, political and social analysis that we get a methodology a lens through which to examine the processes and effects of inter interaction between people and across cultures. The points I'm making today are part of a much larger study I'm doing in which I'm tracking movements of translation in the interactions that make up everyday life. I'm looking at international travel, migrancy, cartography, modern art, art history, current affairs, and so on, in a bit to see how translation can help us better understand the world around us. Um, in this paper today, and this is where we come back to the videos, what I'm investigating is how translation can help us better understand the spread of popular music through social media. And to help me do that, I'm using two main theoretical frames, Richard Dawkins and the notion of the meme, and Walter Benjamin who's probably the most significant influence on the development of 20th century translation theory. In 1976, Dawkins first compared the spread of popular music in society to the actions of what he called a meme. And for him, a meme was like a gene. He says this, Just as genes propagate themselves in the gene pool by leaping from body to body, so memes propagate themselves in the meme pool by leaping from brain to brain via a process which, in the broad sense, can be called imitation. If a scientist hears or reads about a good idea, he passes it on to his colleagues and students. He mentions it in his articles and lectures. And if the idea catches on, it can be said to propagate itself, spreading from brain to brain. When you plant a fertile meme, in my mind, you literally parasitise my brain. 
turning it into a vehicle for the memes propagation in just a way that a virus may parasitize the genetic mechanism of a host cell. All of that Dawkins was writing in 1976. But it's really not hard to fast forward <laughs> to the present day where the concept of going viral links straight back to the idea of his notion of ideas parasitizing the brain. Catchy tunes, popular videos, we're used to all of this. And for Dawkins, it's a survival process. And it's survival secured through mimetic imitation. In their 21st century guys, back to the music videos, we know memes as the stuff that gets posted on our Facebook walls and keeps us back from assessments and admin. You know the stuff I'm talking about, the lolcats memes, which combine in a, an image of a cat with a form of words designed to be as funny, cute or as sarcastic as possible. They're often deliberately idiosyncratic. Grammatically incorrect and contribute to a pidgin English known by aficionados as lol speak. <coughs> lol being the abbreviation for laugh out loud. And this really is the basic premise of a meme. An internet user layers their own unique interpretation over a piece of source material. In the lolcats memes, we see different forms of text, different registers, syntax and language, interwoven with a series of generally static images. And when it all comes together, something entirely new is created. And while it bears a resemblance to the original image on which it's based, the new meme produces something, a translation, a cultural performance that's entirely different. And it's precisely in its ability to offer new interpretations of different ideas that the meme becomes a bearer of cultural value. Depending on how different internet users respond to the original ideas on which they base their interpretation, different messages get conveyed. So in lolcats, the messages that get conveyed are generally humorous. But in other memes, those messages could be ideological, political, subversive. So in the binders full of women memes, for example, users critique Mitt Romney's remarks during a televised debate as part of last year's American presidential campaign, in which he responded to a question in the debate, a uh, question on equal pay, by saying that he had whole binders full of women submitted to him as governor of Massachusetts. The memes that ensued were a response to the reduction of women's rights in the workplace to a matter of business administration. So going back to Dawkins, this is a form of political satire that propagates itself through imitation. But it's also something more, because with every mimetic imitation, whether on Facebook, Tumblr, Wikipedia, 
all of these talking about the binders full of women gaff. So across the internet, whether whatever the medium, <coughs> activists are able to put women's issues right to the forefront of last year's American campaign. So you see this subversive value of an idea that imitates itself online, passing from one person to another and building political force. So today I'm basing my discussion on viral video memes. And specifically, as you've seen, the Call Me Maybe meme, based in Carly Rae Jepsen's original. The so-called literal meme, which reworks the lyrics of a well-known music video in order to parody it and the, uh, the horse dance from size Gamnam style. And at a fundamental level, what I'm saying is that there's an act of translation behind all of these. So we have, first of all, just like in Lolcats and in The Bounders Full of Women, we have a cultural stimulus, stimulus. An image of a cat, contentious statement by a politician, or the three songs on which these case studies are based. And these cultural stimuli function like the translator's source text. It's their base material. In translation, the translator's brief sets out the conditions <coughs> of employment, what their audience, reader or client needs and expects. And the source text for a translator is the base metal that they'll recast as another text, a new creation, that conveys what they need it to, to the new audience, according to the translator's brief. And as with translation, the cultural stimulus here, the source text behind the production of a meme, is an infinite canvas for the production of meaning. And I say infinite because, as with memes, different translators can and do layer different interpretations onto one single source material. So this is Garcia Lorca's Spanish play, Buenos de Sangre. An original, an original text in Spanish. And yet you have so many different interpretations in English by different translators. Each of them performed, each of them published, and each of them seeing something different in Lorca's original. And they each do this differently, not just because the act of reading is a subjective exercise, but because there are different needs and different reasons and motivations that drive the shape of a translator's interpretation. In Dawkins's concept of the meme, a singular source stimulus can be propagated and imitated in different ways by different internet users. And that makes stars of some people and mockeries of others. But what I'm suggesting is that we can recognise in the process of mimetic imitation a form of translation going on in which, just like the translator, the creator of a meme builds their own unique interpretation 
upon a largely fixed stimulus, a source text. So let's say Mitt Romney. He's in a presidential debate, he makes this sexist gaffe. When that is interpreted by different internet users, they each create a translation that simultaneously owes its existence to the presence of the original text, Romney's original remarks, and yet which then departs from his remarks <coughs> and creates a message that's entirely new. So you get the meme out the other end. In the Call Me Maybe meme, we can see this in action through the sheer diversity of memes based on her song. And the lyrics, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number, so call me maybe. These are the lyrics, but they functioned as a source text onto which any number of translations, any number of memes have been based. And we've seen those memes already. takes us to the second translational movement that I want to highlight. Because by framing these memes as a form of textual production, what we get, as with translation, is transformation. Because as with the act of translation, when the maker of a meme interprets the source material, in a sense, they're creating something else whose substance is entirely different. The very chemistry of the original material is changed. And Benjamin describes this departure like a tangent that glances off a circle. So the tangent of translation, he says, touches the circle of the source text only very briefly and really at the smallest of points before it goes off to take its own path. And we can see something of the translational conditions necessary for this creation of new life most clearly, I'm saying, in the literal memes, the Bonnie Tyler memes, that deliberately reinterpret the visual imagery of popular music videos with an all-new set of lyrics. And often the new lyrics, as we saw in the Bonnie Tyler video, give deliberately obtuse, exaggerated or prosaic interpretations of the imagery contained within the original. And this resonates with a view of translation rooted in German literary and philosophical traditions, in Romanticism, existential phenomenology and hermeneutics. It's an idea at its heart that rejects the source text as a stable object, containing fixed meanings or giving rise to singular readings. Because as with the production of a meme, the interpretive nature of translation means that the source text isn't just transmitted between cultures, it gets transformed as a form of representation constitutive of the view of reality of the person behind it. Okay, so let's go back 
to David I. Scott Jr.'s literal version of Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. earlier in those literal subtitles that came up when we watched the video. You can still see Bonnie Tyler's original imagery in the background. So what we watched was a translation, an interpretation that didn't elide the fact that it was a translation. Its status as a text metaphorically in between is actually its greatest virtue because if we didn't have prior knowledge of Bonnie Tyler's video then, and the strangeness of its imagery, that very 80s romantic um, epic video style, if we didn't have that, then the new lyrics placed in subtitles at the bottom, the literal interpretation, it wouldn't be so witty. We'd, we'd lose something of the absurdity. So what we're saying here is that this is a translation that holds up his hands and it says, translation transforms, it doesn't give you back the source text, it changes the source text. And it's been reinterpreted, reimagined and remoulded so that ontologically the translation becomes of a different mind. It's not quite an original piece of work either. It still depends on Bonnie Tyler's video in the background. So you can see in some way that that translation is derivative it's based, inspired by Bonnie Tyler's original video. It owes its existence to the ideas that it got on the basis of watching that video. And that's an ambiguous identity. And for that ambiguous identity to have any cachet with us as an audience, it needs to make a virtue of its dependence on the original text. And that's what translation does. It extends the life of the source text on which it's based beyond the confines of the world of the source text. So it's taking Bonnie Tyler out of the 80s, bringing it to 2013, to all of us. So there's an extension of life there. But it's also an extension of life that in some way honours the original work that it's based on because without that original work, we wouldn't be talking about it now. And for Benjamin back here. For Benjamin, this is because translation is an afterlife of an original work. And since translation comes later in time than the original, it signals how, in Benjamin's words, important works which never find their chosen translators in the era in which they are produced have reached the stage of their continuing life. And this is part of the fame he attaches to an original work because it's in a constant state of reception, interpretation and development. Because different audiences get to receive it and get, it gets to occupy different places in different historical ages. So in translation he says, the original's afterlife, the original's life achieves its constantly renewed, latest and most comprehensive development. It's the place Tyler's original video holds in cultural memory as an artefact of the golden age of 80s romanticism that occasions its own cultural translation in its YouTube afterlife. So through mimetic parody, 
translation ensures that this life gets to go on even further. The constant renewal that accompanies this afterlife is visible in the changes that accompany every fresh insight that a music video enjoys in cultural translation. And for me, an example of this is the horse dancing and the style that we see in Gangnam Style. For Sai, as the author of his source text, the video, the memes that his video has inspired not only owe their existence to the presence of his original dance and thereby affording him a certain credit as the originator of the dance, but they also succeed in constantly renewing his video, keeping it alive in our minds, keeping it current, maintaining the cultural conversation about the phenomenon that is Gangnam Style, and no doubt doing wonders for his bank balance along the way. So what starts life as an original video Okay, everyone in position for the photo. So that's the London version. We all know the original. Um, and it gets reinterpreted, reimagined. You can have animated versions of Gangnam Style done with flash video. There is a flipbook version of Gangnam Style which superimposes a video of a guy who has literally drawn the entire video in pencil in a, in a flip book and flicks the whole thing and you can watch the video reinterpreted through a sketch. It's also been reinterpreted as a superhero story. So there's a video online um, and it's called Gotham <coughs> Style and it's all about Batman and Robin running through Gotham talking about how awesome they are and they do the horse dance and you can see all of the relationship to the original video and yet you get to see the original video translated in all kinds of fun ways or subversive ways. Okay, so in the Mitt Romney example, in a way translational renewal means we don't just have one translator interpreting a fixed source text, resulting in a single translation. What we learn from the multiple afterlives of Gangnam Style is that we actually have multiple translations, multiple translators, and all of this impacts on how the song itself is received. Because we all know that this phenomenal popularity of Gangnam Style keeps that conversation going, keeps the records being sold, keeps him in the charts, it keeps us talking about him and that's through that Dawkins idea of parasitising all of our brains. So in some way what we're saying here is that what we learn from a translational perspective is that these are multiple translations yielded by multiple translators that actually have an effect on the original source text so that what started out as a source text of one, Gangnam Style, in a way becomes multiple source texts because we're each receiving and interpreting that source text in different ways. So what I hope to have suggested is that I think it's possible to craft a parallel between textual translation of the interlingual sort 
and the organic processes, processes of interpretation and change that we can see at work in the viral video meme. By casting it as the manifestation of translational movements in the cultural phenomena of everyday life, we not only add to the growing body of work investigating what cultural translation actually means, but we also learn something of how these cultural phenomena function and how their mimetic propagation across society is made possible. Thank you.